All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. I hope you're doing all right. I hope your family is doing okay during this kind of crazy, crazy season. By now, you're probably getting a lot of cabin fever, I would imagine. You know, we've heard so much about social distancing. Uh, I had a friend of mine tell me that he and his wife were practicing spousal distancing, all right, so they don't drive each other crazy. And uh, I hope that's not the case uh, in your house, but yeah, it's a little crazy. And I'm sure just being cooped up and online, not a whole lot to do outside of that. My guess is that online shopping is blowing through the roof. Uh, I'll admit I've done a little bit of that over this last couple of weeks. And in fact, I found a t-shirt that I really like that I, I'm probably gonna get. And uh, in fact, uh, i just show you a picture. Here's a picture of what that looks like. That's right, it says March Sadness instead of March Madness, all right? First time I saw that, I thought, oh, that's so funny. And then I thought, no, that is so true, right? It's so true because, man, we expected so much more than what we got this spring. I mean, we, we expected ball games on all the time and March Madness and on TV and filling out your brackets. We expected that, and when that didn't happen. And not only that, man, we expected NBA finals, we expected hockey, we expected uh, golf tournaments. We expected a lot of things that didn't come to pass. I mean, it's more than just sports, too. Some of you, you expected the economy to keep booming and keep rolling, and, and it hasn't. Some of you, you expected to be in school right now, and you're not. Some of you expected, look, graduations. Some of you expected proms. And, and sport banquets and, and parties and senior parties, and none of that's happening. Some of you expected uh, weddings to happen and they're postponed or, or other celebrations. Some of you expected a job and there's not a job for you. You know, the fact is that we all have expectations that haven't been met. William Shakespeare once said the expectations is at the root of all heartache. And what that means is that when our expectations are up here and yet reality comes in down here, the difference between that is heartache and we call that space disappointment. And listen, truth is we all face disappointment. We do, we, we go through seasons of disappointment in our life. Sometimes they're very small disappointments. Like uh, when you really want Chick-fil-A and then you realize it's Sunday, all right? It's a small disappointment. But other disappointments are, are huge. Sometimes they're life-changing disappointments. So the question is, how do you handle it when life disappoints? That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about what to do when life disappoints. And, and what I'm gonna show you today are some really practical things, some, some very powerful lessons we learn from scripture and particularly through the life of Jacob that we're going to be looking at today of how we can not only endure disappointments but how we can emerge out of them stronger and better and more solid in our walk with God. So if you've got a Bible I want you to open it up to Genesis 29. That's where we're going to be today. Genesis chapter 29. Let me just kind of remind you where we are in this story of the life of Jacob. All right. Uh, Jacob is a, um, he is on the run and he is running, literally he's running uh, 
to something and he's running from something, okay? He's running to his uncle Laban who lives in a place north of Cana called Haran. It's literally in modern day Turkey now. And this uncle Laban is actually his mother's uh, brother, all right? So he's running there. He's running to his uncle Laban's house, but he's also running from some things. He's running from uh, his brother Esau who is pledged to take his life and to kill him because of what he's done to trick him out of his blessing. And so he's got a lot going on. And so as he makes this trek north from Cana all the way up to Haran, somewhere in between there is this encounter with God. We learned last week uh, at a place called Bethel where he just encounters God and God begins this kind of new work in Jacob's life. But we're going to pick up the story where he he ends in Haran. He now comes to that place and he's going to meet his uncle Laban. All right, so let's just check out what happens. By the way, he gets to the area of Haran and he encounters some shepherds. And some shepherds are there kind of waiting at a well and they're gonna kind of move the stone out of the way so the water can come. They're gonna water some sheep. And so he starts talking with them and he says, hey, uh, uh, do you guys know my uncle Laban? They go, oh yeah, man, we know Laban. He goes, well, is he well? He goes, oh yeah, he's great. And they say, in fact, that girl right over there who's a shepherdess, uh, that's your Uncle Laban's daughter. Her name is Rachel. And look at what happens. Look at uh, Genesis 29, beginning at verse 10. It says, as soon as Jacob saw his Uncle Laban's daughter, Rachel, with his sheep, he went up. And rolled the stone from the opening and watered his uncle Laban's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept loudly. And he told Rachel that he was her father's relative, Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. Now, that's kind of a weird kind of introduction, don't you think? I mean, they're like, yeah, that's, that's your uncle's daughter and, and she's beautiful and he sees her and he's attractive to her. And so he goes up and I'm not sure it was like, hey, my name's Jacob, you wanna kiss? I'm not really sure how that worked out. I mean, did he like bend her over? Did he just label it on her? How did that, how did that happen? But, but the deal is that Jacob loved Rachel from the very beginning. This whole story of Jacob and Rachel is one of the, one of the sweetest love stories in the Bible. And he knew it right from the very beginning, right from the first kiss. Do you remember your first kiss? Now, I remember the first time I kissed uh, my Liz. Uh, I tell you what, we had grown up together. We'd known each other for years. We were seniors in high school. And I can remember the first time I kissed her and I thought, I never want to kiss another woman again. That, that's, that's what Jacob was like. Man, he just saw her. He kissed her. And then it says, it's kind of weird. It says he started to cry out loud. Now, guys, I don't recommend you do this on the first date, all right? I don't recommend that you, like, lay one on her and then start crying, right? She's going to think that you're having like, some kind of emotional breakdown. Uh, but that's what he did. It was just his heart was so full. I mean, it was so emotional. It was like, I found the one that I love, and I'm, I'm here in this place. I wanted to be, and, and his heart was full. He, he loved Rachel. Over and over and over in this story, we learn or we read that how much he actually loved Rachel, but this love story is going to get a little complicated. So let's keep reading. Look at verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah. The younger was named Rachel. Leah had tender eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. And Jacob loved Rachel, 
And so he answered Laban, I'll work for you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban replied, better I give her uh, to you than to some other man. Stay with me. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel. And they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Isn't that sweet? He's like, man, he, he just loved her. And seven years went by like that because of his great love for her. You know, this, this love that Jacob had for Rachel was, was not just a, um, a casual inf- infatuation. It wasn't, um, it wasn't just a shallow emotional attraction. Jacob really loved her. Uh, he had this committed love to her that he was willing to, to serve and to work every day to pack his lunch and go to work in the sun to, to work, to prove his love, to earn his love for her and to be committed to her. You know, this is a really important point that love takes time to mature. Love takes time to grow. In fact, the Song of Solomon uh, puts it best. It says in Song of Solomon 8 verse 4, it says, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Love takes time to grow. Love takes time to mature. Love takes time to awaken. Love takes time to deepen. Listen, if a guy uh, tells you, oh, I just love you so much and he just met you. No, he doesn't. He may want to be with you. He may be attracted to you, but he does not love you because love takes time to grow. And committed love takes time to mature. But that's what Jacob had. He had a committed love to Rachel. And he proved it every day when he got up and he went to work. Every day, I'm sure he, he imagined what their life was going to be like when they're finally married. Every day, he, he was picturing what, what it was going to be like for them to be together. Every day, he had this expectation, this picture of their life together was going to be beautiful and wonderful. But their love, well, it's about to take an unexpected turn. So let's keep reading. Look at verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, since my time is complete, give me my wife so that I can sleep with her. So Laban invited all the men of the place and sponsored a feast. And that evening Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob and he slept with her. And Laban gave his slave Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her slave. When morning came, there was Leah. And so he said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Wasn't it for Rachel that I worked for you? Why have you deceived me? Now, you're probably wondering what most people are wondering, and that is, what the heck is going on here, all right? I mean, uh, obviously, there's some switch thing going on, switched at the wedding night. Uh, They have this big wedding celebration, and he, he goes into the tent to be with his wife, and he wakes up the next morning, and it's not the right woman? I mean, you're probably thinking, how does that, how does that actually happen? I mean, how, how does he not know? I mean, it, it, it was too dark in there. Is he, he had too much to drink. What's going on? And then there's all these other questions. What about Leah? Did, what was her motive in this? And, and did she understand what was happening? And, and how long had she known about this? And then what about Rachel? who loved Jacob, how did they move her out of the way and how did they trick her and did she find out after it happened and was her heart broken? And there's so many things wrong with this picture. 
And so we just see heartbreak all the way through it. And look at, look at Laban's response. By the way, by the way, really Jacob in, in many sense is kind of getting a taste of his own medicine. Remember, he's the one that pretended to be his brother and deceive his father and took a blessing. And, and now somebody else is switching on him. And now all of a sudden he's understanding the deep gravity and pain of this kind of deception. In fact, he says, why did you deceive me? That's the same basic word that, that Esau says when Jacob deceived me. See, there's a lot of deception going on and Jacob is, is un, he's peeling down the depths of, of this kind of deception and the pain that it causes. And so he goes to Laban and goes, what are you doing? Why did you do this? Why did you deceive me? And look at Laban's uh, response. Look at verse 26. And Laban answered him, um, it is not the custom in this place to give the younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn. Complete this week of wedding celebration, and we will give you the younger one in return for working yet another seven years. And Jacob did just that. He finished the week of celebration, and Laban gave his daughter Rachel as his wife. And Laban gave the slave Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her slave. And Jacob slept with Rachel also. And indeed, he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Listen, this, uh, this story has got more dysfunction than a Dr. Phil episode, all right? I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot wrong with this story. There's a whole lot going on here that is just weird and strange and dysfunctional and crazy. But yet, when you, when you get down to the bottom of it, what you have is three people that are very disappointed. You have Jacob, and he expected to marry Rachel and have children. And instead, he, he's got this other wife, Leah, that he doesn't love, and he's trapped in another seven years of work and labor to some crazy psycho father-in-law. And then you got Leah, who her expectation was that she would marry a man who loved her, and they would have a wonderful family. And now she's trapped in this strange marriage, unloved and uncared for, without any way out. And then you have Rachel, who... Man, she expected to just marry Jacob and, and, and have children together. And now she's, again, stuck in this weird love triangle with her own sister. And, and for most of her life, she is barren and she can't have children. Every single one of these people are facing disappointment. Listen, you may be facing disappointment right now. I mean, just, just face it. You may be facing disappointment in a lot of areas. You may be disappointed in your marriage that's not really going and you feel trapped and unloved and uncared for. Maybe, maybe you're going through a divorce and you're, you're trying to pick up the pieces of what you, what you hoped would happen and trying to navigate children through this messy, tangled up uh, relationship. Maybe you don't have someone that you're dating right now and you want to be dating, you want to be married and it, life's not working out for you. Maybe you wanted to have children and, and you can't have kids, or maybe that adoption's not going through. Maybe your expectation with your career is not playing out. Maybe you just got a lot of fears and a lot of disappointment, a lot of things that, that you planned in your life. Man, this is the direction my life's gonna go, and this is how this is gonna be, and, and none of it's working out that way. 
So how do you handle disappointment? How do you face disappointment like that? Well, in this story, really, Leah gives us a wonderful picture of how to face disappointment. And, and I, wanna, I wanna give you a, a thought here that I think is really, really important for us to hang on to. And that is this, that disappointments are often divine appointments. Now, did you get that? Disappointments are often divine appointments. In other words, the things that come in our life that we didn't expect, that we didn't even want, that we certainly didn't plan for, that, that come in unwanted in our lives, many times God is using to redirect us in a new direction. Maybe God's using this disappointment in your life to redirect you in an area that he wants you to go. When we see Leah in this story, uh, she really shows us how to deal practically with disappointments and, and how to overcome them and get better. Let me give you just a couple of things uh, for you to write down. Okay, write this first thing down. Uh, here's what you do. What to do when life disappoints. Number one, look for God's blessing. Look for God's blessing. Look at verse 31. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was an, uh, unable to conceive. I want you to underline the phrase, when the Lord saw. You see, God saw Leah. God saw her disappointment. God saw what her expectation was. God saw the brokenness in her heart that she's trapped. And, and, and now her sister hates her. And now her husband hates her. And, and she's trapped in this weird deal that God saw her and God moved toward her. And what that means is that God knows you. God knows your heart. God knows your disappointment. God knows what your expectations were. And God understands the depth of your pain and the depth of your grief and the depth of your disappointment. But what I want you to see is that even though God saw her, it says that God also blessed her. It says, look, he opened up her womb. In other words, in the midst of her disappointment that God brought, a tremendous blessing. Do you get that? Listen, many times when we are faced with a disappointment, so many times that disappointment can eclipse all the blessings that God has given us. You know, just recently I was reading in a, a Harvard Business Review article about disappointment. And there was a statement in there that really jumped out at me. And here was a statement. It said, when we become preoccupied with bad news, we lose sight of what is right in our lives and in the world around us. Boy, isn't that true? When we become preoccupied with bad news, we lose sight of what's right in the world. Boy, I know that's true in my life. I bet it's true in your life. And it's been easy to be preoccupied with bad news, hasn't it? I mean, every time you get on the TV, you know, every time you're looking uh, and reading an article, every time you're seeing news, or every time you're scrolling on, on social media, it's always, you know, the virus and the economy and, and the projections are dire. And, and it's just so easy to be sucked in and fixated on bad news. But the more we fixate on what's wrong in the world, we begin to lose sight of what's right in the world and the blessings that God has given. Listen, don't let disappointments blind you to God's blessing. In fact, 
what you really need to do is to intentionally begin to look, say, okay, you know what? This isn't working for me. I, I thought I was going to graduate with this big thing, and now that's not going to happen. That party's not going to happen. This event's not going to happen. I, I thought I was going to stay with this company. Well, obviously, that's not going to work out now. I thought that we were going to have children, and now we're kind of struggling with that. Whatever your disappointment is for you to say, all right, yes, this is not what I wanted. Yes, this is hurtful to me. Yeah, this is not what I wanted, but God is still good. And here are some ways that God has blessed me. You know the old song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Then you'll be reminded what the Lord has done. Really, that's what Leah began to do. She began to see God's blessing. And and if you want to move through disappointment, you've got to start looking at the blessings that God has brought into your life and be thankful for them. Maybe those blessings are people. Maybe those blessings are relationships. Maybe those blessings are just the fact you've got a roof over your head and you've got ability to go uh, live the next day. Whatever that blessing is, to, to acknowledge them, to see them, to thank God for them. You know, the other thing that we need to do when we're facing disappointment is we need to shift our thinking from blaming God to praising God. Look at what Leah does. Leah Leah's trying to make sense of all this that she's dealing with. And so she thinks that, well, if I can have children, then, then my husband will finally love me. If I could give him children, especially if I could give him sons, then he would love me. And so she's trying to work her way out of this problem by producing children. And she does. I mean, look at what happens. Look at verse, look at verse 32. It says, when the, uh, look at verse 32. Leah conceived and gave birth to a son and named him Reuben. For she said, the Lord has seen my affliction. Surely my husband will love me now. The word Reuben literally means see a son. And she said, look, see, look, I've given you a son. And, and she makes one of the saddest statements in the Bible. Maybe my husband will love me. She so wanted love from her husband, but that love would never, ever come. Look at verse 33. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, The Lord heard that I am unloved, and he has given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. Uh, The word Simeon means one who knows that she, she's beginning to turn her heart toward God. God knows. God knows my heart breaks. She's beginning to turn her thoughts and her prayers vertical up to God. The next, uh, look at the next verse, verse 34. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and said, at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne three sons for him. Therefore, he was named Levi. Levi means attached. She so hoped that her husband would love her the way she desired to be loved. But look at verse 35. And she conceived again and gave birth to a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. You know, there's something different that happened here. All the other times she's talking about her husband. Maybe my husband will love me. Maybe now we'll be attached. Maybe now he'll recognize me. He'll see my value. Maybe he'll think I'm pretty. Maybe he'll desire me. But this last time she makes this pivot from trying to fix her problem and and maybe even blaming God for her problem. And now she just says, God, I choose to praise you regardless of whether you change my circumstance. You know, I've known a lot of people 
who they pray the prayer, God, if you will change my circumstances, then I will love you, then I will praise you, then I will serve you. And there's this always conditional thing going on. But they never come to praise God in the midst of their disappointment. But then there are others that choose to say, I will praise you no matter what. You know, Riley um, grew up playing basketball. I mean, when she was in middle school, she said, I'm gonna be in the WNBA. Her whole life, basketball was her world. And uh, she was good at it. She was one of these players that was just full tilt, 100% aggressive player on the court, uh, really, really a beast on the court. And in her senior year, I mean, all of a sudden, here came the colleges pursuing her to get her to play college ball. But because of her style of play, uh, Riley was, um, well, she suffered multiple concussions. And finally, at the last concussion, it took her so long to recover, the doctor said, Riley, you really cannot continue to play this game. And suddenly, like that, all those offers disappeared. And I remember talking to Riley about this right after one of our worship services. And she was telling me what's going on, but she said, Pastor Craig, I just want you to know that I am learning to trust God, that even though this is not what I wanted, that God's got a better plan for me. See, Riley chose to praise God instead of blame God. How about you? Are you still blaming God for why your plan didn't work out? Are you choosing to praise God in the middle of it and say, God, I choose, even if you never change my circumstances, I will worship you because you're worthy of my worship. Listen, we've got to look for the blessings that God brings into our life. We've got, we've, got to, we've got to shift from blaming God to praising God. And then let me give you one more thing that's just right here in this beautiful story here from Leah, that we've got to trust that God's got a bigger plan in mind, that God's got a bigger picture in mind for your life. Look at verse 35. It just kind of ends somewhat abruptly. It says, then Leah stopped having children. It sounds final, doesn't it? It sounds abrupt. She had had four, then she stopped. She would later go on to have a few more children after this. But if you just stopped right there, you'd think, man, Leah, you know, her life really wasn't a very happy life. I mean, it looks like God dealt her a bad hand. But if you look at what happened with some of her children, you'd see differently. One of her children was named Levi. He went on to uh, birth the tribe of Levi, which was the priestly tribe, the ones that, that stood in, in the place of the people before God and, and God before the people that were set apart and holy and used by God. She was the one that birthed the tribe of priests that led the whole nation in worship. And not only that, her last one mentioned here in this chapter was Judah. And the tribe of Judah was the one that produced one of the greatest kings. King David was from the tribe of Judah. And not only King David, but later through the line of David would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In fact, he's called in Revelation 5, the lion of 
Judah. And so what that means is that this unloved woman that, that felt like her life didn't matter, actually God was working and weaving through generations through her to bring the Messiah into the world, to bring Christ into the world, the one who will redeem us and save us and make us right with God. See, God's got this way of taking a big mess and turning it into something beautiful. And Romans 8, 28 says, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that's what God was doing in Leah's life. He was saying, Leah, you don't, you don't see it now. You're not gonna, you're gonna see it now, but I've got this plan. I've got this purpose and I'm, I'm weaving these things in. He was able to take the dissonant notes of her life and, and, and transform it into a beautiful melody. He was able to take the dark shades of her pain and her life and turn it into a beautiful portrait. You know, probably being cooped up all this week, uh, a lot of you have been playing puzzles, right? I don't know if you're the puzzle type. Uh, I'm not particularly a puzzle type. My wife is a big puzzle uh, person. And uh, in fact, she's been doing puzzles with, with uh, Campbell, our future son-in-law. In fact, here's a picture of the two of them uh, completed one puzzle, then they were on to another one. But you know, the interesting thing about puzzles is this, that um, you can never tell what the picture is by only looking at one piece, right? You just look at one piece, you can't tell. You don't know what the picture is. And it's only when you put all the pieces together that you see the big image, that, that, that the picture is revealed. Now listen to me. Disappointments are like a puzzle piece. They may be dark, they may be grim looking, but they're not the whole picture. They're just a part of the picture. And that God's got a bigger picture in mind for you. God's painting a beautiful picture and this disappointment is just one piece of a bigger picture that God has for your life. You know, if you and I were sitting at a table and you were telling me your disappointments, what I would do is I'd pull out a puzzle piece and I'd slide it over to you and I'd say, I want you to write down on the back of this puzzle piece, your disappointment, just go ahead and name it. Infertility, loss of job, struggling at home, uh, no boyfriend, what, whatever, or girlfriend, whatever that thing is that is troubling your heart. And I would say, I want you to put this puzzle piece in your pocket and I want you to carry it with you. And every time this sense of dread or struggle comes in your life when you are tempted to blame God or pull away from God or just become overwhelmed and fixated with your disappointment, I want you to pull that thing in. I want you to remember that it's just a piece. It's just a piece of what God's doing in your life, the bigger, beautiful picture that God's producing in your life. Listen, disappointments are often God's divine appointments. Don't, don't push them away. Don't wish them away. Embrace them. Embrace the disappointments in your life. And, and, and begin to look for where God has blessed you and to thank God for the blessings that he's brought into your life. And instead of blaming God for what's happened to press into him and say, God, I'm just gonna choose to worship you now even though I don't see the big picture. I don't know how this is gonna work out. My heart is breaking, but God, I, I worship you because you're worthy of worship. 
And God, I believe that this pain in my life is just a little piece of a bigger picture that you're producing in my life. Hey, I want you to bow your heads with me for a minute. And just right where you are to just be still before God. And maybe you just need to confess it to God, your disappointment. God, I'm just, my heart's hurting. God, I'm struggling. God, I don't understand. I want you to understand that in those moments of desperation and confusion, this is why Christ came. See, God loves you so much that he saw us drifting from God, drifting away from him, drifting in our sin and our waywardness, and he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, and Christ came to live a perfect life, to show us the Father, to reveal God's love for us. And then he went to a cross, and on that cross, all of our sin, all of our failures, all of our shame was put on the back of Jesus, and Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin. And he was buried. And he rose again from the dead. And he offers new life and new hope and a bigger picture and a brighter future for those who trust in him. Have you placed your trust in Jesus? Listen, right now, right where you are, you can say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on in my life. I'm so gripped by fear. I'm so gripped by uncertainty. But Lord, I want to trust you. Maybe for the first time, this could be your moment to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you, to make you right with him, and to lead you through this difficult season in your life. Father, I, I thank you that what we see as disappointments are often divine appointments that you're over it all, that you are putting the pieces together in our life that we don't see and many times we don't understand. And Lord, I really pray that you would hear us as we cry out to you. And that in our seasons of disappointment that we would find peace and hope knowing that you are in charge, that you love us, that you see us, that you're at work in it all and that we can trust your bigger picture. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your goodness. And we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.